Right now, there are thousands of religions in the world. Most of them have very little agreement. But under one banner, there is coming a man who will be able to glue them all together into a one-world religion, and it will happen after the rapture. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are studying the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which is mostly a prophetic look at the end times, a time known as the Tribulation, when all hell will literally take place on earth. We've seen that God will remove His people, the Church, immediately before the Tribulation. Then various judgments will befall the earth. During these judgments, three individuals will have a prominent part in spreading apostasy and in persecuting those who come to faith in Christ. This unholy trinity will consist of the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. We saw that the end times will be marked by major wars as all the nations come against Israel. And as we continue our look at chapter 17, the Apostle John has a vision of a particular woman that represents the religious system of Babylon, a new religious and political world order that will spring up in the latter half of the tribulation. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he begins reading from the first 10 verses of chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which is wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now for the benefit of, of us all, let me bring you into the context of this 17th chapter. This slide reminds you, as we studied in the opening message, that there are three major divisions to the Revelation. John is instructed by Christ to write about the things which you have seen. That's the past. That's chapter 1. That's all about the glorified Christ. Then he is told to write the things which are. That's the present. That's the seven churches that he addresses in chapters 2 and 3. It's all about the church. 
And then he turns a corner when he comes to chapter 4 and verse 1, and he writes about the things that will take place, metatata, after these things. It deals with the consummation of the age. And so in chapters 4, all the way through the end of the book, you're in the futuristic section of the Revelation. 4.1 is a turning point. Remember the outline, the last two words in Greek, metatata, after these things. When you come to 4.1, the first two words in Greek, metatata, after these things. The last two words in that verse, metatata, after these things. You can't miss it. You know you're in the futuristic section when you come to chapter 4 and verse 1. A door is opened up in heaven and the church is brought in. And so you do not see the church mentioned again until the 19th chapter when Jesus brings her back in glory. Now, we've seen that starting in chapter 6, God begins to unfold judgments upon the earth during this time called the Great Tribulation. They come in the form of seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. Uh, There are uh, these judgments that Jesus said are like a woman pregnant with a baby. The pregnancy starts. She's aware something's happening. The baby begins to grow, and one day labor pains start. And they begin to uh, increase in frequency and intensity. I think we're probably in pre-labor in the day that we're living in. There's so much that is happening that has just blown my mind away. And God is trying to get the earth's attention. He's trying to get her to wake up to give her one last chance to repent. So here's an overall diagram of what we've studied thus far. Seven seals and the seventh seal are contained seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet are contained seven bowls. We saw the seal, the seven-sealed document was the title deed to the earth that Christ was worthy to receive. The seals can only be seen one at a time, but when the seventh seal is open, we discovered you're able to see all seven trumpets, and in the seventh trumpet, therefore, you can see all seven bowls. And when that seventh seal is open, there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. It happens right because of an event that triggers it. It's called the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist walks into a rebuilt temple there on the Temple Mount that will be finished, has to be finished by the middle of the tribulation, may not even start until after the church is raptured. God only knows. But it will be done there, and by the middle of the tribulation, he will go in and he will defile it. Now, you can see that God breaks, as this chart reminds us, the tribulation into two even halves, 42 months, 1,260 days, times, times, and half a time, three and a half years, repeated over and over and over again. You can't miss it. And the first half of the tribulation, you see a religious harlot. That's what we're studying here in chapter 17. And the second half of the tribulation, you have the religion of the Antichrist. Now, we read in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke with me, saying, come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now, we learned one of the seven angels, there are seven angels who are introduced to us in chapter 15, each angel has a bull or a plague, and one of the seven angels is asking John to come and see the judgment of the great harlot. And she is described in verse 5 as the mother of harlots. Now, remember, uh, he has put us in slow motion here for a little period of time. God has finished the bowl judgments, and when you come to the last bowl, Christ comes back. 
But then he pauses and he shows us what has been happening during this seven-year period. He will look back and he will look ahead. And so in the 17th chapter, he shows us this place called Mystery Babylon. It's a real place, but it also represents a religious system. And then in chapter 18, as we're going to study, he shows us economic Babylon, a political entity that has come together. Now, Babylon is a pretty important place in the Bible. Remember, there are 404 verses in the Revelation. And when you think about those 404 verses, 44 of them are about Babylon. That's 11% of the book. So obviously, this is important to God. In fact, there are two cities that are highlighted throughout the Bible more than any other two cities. One is Babylon, the other is Jerusalem. That's mentioned some 800 times in the Bible. We saw the first mention last time of Jerusalem in Genesis 14. We will see the last mention in, Genesis, in Revelation 21. And Jerusalem is a special place in the mind and heart of God. Remember what we read in Psalm 132, for the Lord has chosen Zion. Zion is one of the many names for Jerusalem in the Bible. God has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. It's not by accident that the only city on the earth that you are commanded to pray for its peace is the city of Jerusalem. And when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the Prince of Peace to come back who will establish it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then the promise, may they prosper who love you. It is a foolish country. It is a foolish nation that will go against Jerusalem. God said through the chronicler, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. In Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. In Psalm 87, 3 identifies this city of God as being Jerusalem. Nehemiah, Isaiah, Matthew all call it the holy city. And by extension, we refer to Israel often as the holy land. Why is Jerusalem the holy city? Because it was there that God the Son ministered there in the temple. It was in the city of Jerusalem that he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He died there. He was buried there. He was raised from the dead there. He ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And it is to that city that he will come again and in, in bring judgment. In Ezekiel 5, thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations, with land around her. And so as you look on a map, you see that Jerusalem is a unique geographical spot that is centered around three major continents. And God views Jerusalem when he looks from heaven as the center of the world. No wonder that when God someday is going to burn this earth with fire and make a brand new earth in brand new heavens, the new Jerusalem that is the Father's house, that if you die today, that's where you will go if you know Jesus, that city will literally come down and will become the capital city on the planet earth and a new heaven and a new earth. So we'll have the city and a brand new earth to enjoy. We call the whole ball of wax heaven. Now, some think Washington is an important city or Moscow or Delhi or Paris. I want to tell you there is no more important city on the face of the earth than the city of God. But the devil is never satisfied with the ways of God. He's the great usurper. So he tries to replace during the tribulation the city of God with a city of man. 
and it's called Babylon, mentioned some 300 times in the Bible. We studied its roots last week in Genesis 10 and 11 when we looked at the first two verses in this study. And it would be very helpful if you were not here to download the app, go to the App Store, type in Search the Scriptures. Only one app will come up. Searchthescriptures.org, our website. Get the phone app and listen to last week's message. Because God there in Genesis, in the book of beginnings, gives us in kernel form how we got this institution that is religious and political in nature. It goes all the way back to Nimrod there in Genesis 10. Now, again, here in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, the chapter and verse divisions are helpful. It helped us to get to the spot that we're at today. But remember, they're artificial. So don't miss the flow of thought. At the end of chapter 16, in verses 17 through 21... God sends judgment on this place called Babylon. He shakes the nations, the cities of the world with an earthquake, but he highlights in Revelation 16, 19, Babylon. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And so Babylon the great now becomes the theme of chapters 17 and 18. And God remembered this city out of all the cities in the world in his wrath. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The great harlot, this woman. Now, there are four prominent women that are underscored for us in the book of Revelation. We studied Jezebel, the church at Thyatira. She's an important woman. We studied one called Israel, who's termed and defined for us in the 12th chapter as the woman. Uh, we, we've uh, studied the bride, or we're going to study the bride of Christ in chapter 19, who is also a woman. But then there is this woman in chapter 17 who is deemed the great harlot. Now, remember what he said already of her in, in Revelation 14. Let me read it to you. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And so God describes what I will call the devil's church as a harlot. He describes her with sexually charged terms. In fact, the word immorality is the Greek word porneia, and we get our word pornography from it. Because God is comparing her to a spiritual apostate. And God will often use those kinds of terms to describe spiritual unfaithfulness. He did so, for instance, with Israel, who were, of course, his people. They are described as his bride in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 3. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel... I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went away as a harlot also. Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom, they were spiritually unfaithful to God, and so he likens them to laying with a harlot. Hosea, the prophet, says, my people consult their wooden idol." And their diviner's wand wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot departing from God. The psalmist says in Psalm 108, Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. 
And so the apostle James says in the fourth chapter, to the church that is also likened to God's bride, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When the world system, not its people, but its system and its form of beliefs become yours, you are making yourself an enemy of God. And when a Christian begins to embrace the ways of the world, he is committing spiritual adultery. Right now, there are thousands of religions in the world. Most of them have very little agreement. But under one banner, there is coming a man who will be able to glue them all together into a one-world religion, and it will happen after the rapture. Look again in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Notice she is described as sitting on many waters. You say, what does that mean? The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. Remember, this book in the opening verse was communicated. In the margin, it says it was signified. It was signified to you. God gave the revelation in signs, but most of the signs are interpreted for you. And once you understand what the sign means, you literally believe what it stands for. You say, well, what is the many waters? I don't have to wonder. I'll give you a preview. Look at verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Religious Babylon is going to have the attention of the world. Now, we just cracked the door last week to verse 2. So we're going to start there this morning. And this, uh, today I want you to, ha to put there in your outline five considerations about this false religion Babylon, this false religious system known as Babylon. First, I want us to think about the perversion of this false religion. First, something about the perversion of this false religion. We are told in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth, mystery Babylon, with whom the kings of the earth, this woman likened to a harlot, committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now, it's not by accident that the kings of the earth, the prime ministers and the presidents and the literal kings, will come under her sway. There is going to be a union of church and state like the world has never seen before. There will be no wall of separation, and the glue that will hold all these political entities together, most of whom cannot get along today, will be a religious system. And so we will see in chapter 17 that Babylon, mystery Babylon, is described as a religious system. And when we come to chapter 18, it will be described as a political system. And so this great harlot, like a slick seductress, will lure people in. Again, this is the term. You've played the harlot, Ezekiel 16, 26. Jeremiah, you've laid down as a harlot. Psalm 106, he said of Israel, you played the harlot in the deeds that you committed. And again in James 4, you adulteress. Friendship with the world is like spiritual adultery. Now again, it's not by accident that God does not use the term adultery in describing this religious entity. He uses the word porneia. The word porneia 
typically can refer to any kind of sexual immorality, but it can also refer to sex between two people who are not married. Moikeia typically is used in the Bible, adultery, to describe extramarital sex, sex outside of your marriage relationship. God describes Israel as committing adultery. Why? Because they are His people. God describes Christians in James 4 as committing adultery. Why? Because they are His people. But God describes this religious entity as committing porneia, fornication, immorality, because they are not His people and never have been. This great harlot in verse 1 is going to be able to bring the kings of the world together. The, the glue that will be used is religion. Now, I want to tell you the seeds are being sown in our day. The average kid who goes off to college today sits on a university campus where he is brainwashed. He is brainwashed with a worldview that is so antithetical to the Word of God. The Bible is made fun of. The morals in Scripture are laughed at. Kids are told today that they can't know what is truth or truth can be whatever you want it to be. And this is why if you send your child to that university, he better have some spiritual steel in his spine. One, he better know Christ, and two, he better know his Bible or he will not be able to stand strong. And so the seeds against truth are being sown, and they're being sown not just in the campus realm, but in the religious realm. Here's a picture of John Paul II. A major shift began to take place in Roman Catholicism in hoping to syncretize the religions of the world under this pope, John Paul II. And so he garnered a meeting together in 1986 where he called religious leaders from around the world to Assisi. Many of you know Francis of Assisi. And there present were snake worshipers, fire worshipers, spiritists, animists, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, North American witch doctors. And he said this in his proclamation, I have the honor and pleasure of welcoming all of you for our World Day of Prayer in this town of Assisi. Let me begin by thanking you from the bottom of my heart for the openness and goodwill with which you have accepted my invitation to pray at Assisi. The coming together of so many religious leaders to pray isn't in itself an invitation to the world to become aware that there exists another dimension of peace and another way of promoting it, which is not the result of negotiations, political compromises, or economic bargaining. It is the result of prayer, which in the diversity of religions expresses a relationship with a supreme power that surpasses our human capacities alone. And on that day, John Paul II had all of them praying, and he said they were all praying to the same God, and that their prayers would create a spiritual energy that could bring the world together. And so he allowed the Dalai Lama of Tibet to put Buddha there on the Roman Catholic altar in the church at Assisi, who had his monks uh, worshiping next to him, and all these Shintoists ringing their bells and chanting. Now listen, there is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. 
You can only pray through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he said they're all praying to their different gods or to the God, a supreme being. Here's a picture of Pope the 16th, Pope Benedict the 16th. In 2011, for the 25th anniversary, he brought them back to Assisi. Here's another picture. He gathered over 300 religious leaders from across the world. And of course, on that day, he told them that they all needed to be committed to their own religious faith, quote unquote. There is only one truth, and there is only one faith, and it is the faith in the Bible. And so to tell them to be committed to their own religious faith is sheer heresy and a denial. And he had them all pray. So to whom were the Muslims praying, if not the God of Muhammad? To whom were the animists praying, if not to their idols? How is it conceivable that a pope could invite the nations of the world together under this religious umbrella and commit such an act of sheer blasphemy? Now, here's a, a picture of Pope Francis last year, and here's a proclamation that he made. Let me read it to you. He said, most people in the world identify to be believers. This should lead us to dialogue among the world's religions. We should not stop praying for it and collaborating with those who think differently. Many think differently, feel differently, seeking God or meeting God in different ways. But there is one certainty that we all have, and that is that we are children of God. Here's a picture of Francis in Myanmar 18 months ago. He said at that place where he gathered all these Buddhists together in a Buddhist temple, he said, all those here in Myanmar live in accord with the religious traditions of Buddhism. And he acknowledged that through the teachings of the Buddha and the dedicated witness of so many monks that, quote, the people of this land have been formed in the values of patience, tolerance, and respect for life, as well as a spiritually attentive to and deep respect for the environment. He's a green pulp. He worships the environment. He worships Mother Nature, I think, more than Father God. But here he is. He's, he's telling these Buddhists. He, what he should have told them as a man of God is that you are worshiping a false god, and this false god is leading you directly into hell. But he didn't say that. He said to the monks in that day, quote, the great challenge of our day is to help people to be open to the transcendent and to realize that we cannot be isolated from one another. Then he said, if we are to be united, as in our purpose, we need to surmount all forms of misunderstanding, intolerance, prejudice, and hatred. Here's Francis, eight months ago in the Vatican. Here on this day, he met with Sikhs and Hindus, Jains and Buddhists, and he said that they all needed to thank God because religious leaders can actively foster a culture of encounter by offering an example of fruitful dialogue and by working together in the service of life, human dignity, and in the care of creation. There he is, the green pope. And this pope urged the participants to come together that they might, quote, advance in knowledge of one another and in esteem for their respective spiritual traditions, which are nothing but heresies, and offer the world a witness to the values of justice, peace, and defiance of human dignity. He said that we should esteem the different spiritual traditions. No, we shouldn't. Paul on Mars Hill said, you are worshiping a false god. You are worshiping a god that is no god at all. 
Tomorrow, we'll look at more of the ecumenical message recently delivered by Pope Francis as we continue our study of Revelation 17 and a message entitled, The False Religion of Babylon. To listen again to this message, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV48. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you'd like more information or would like to come alongside Search the Scriptures, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, part two of The False Religion of Babylon. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.